Open our eyes to see things from your word that maybe we've read before, maybe even heard before, um, but you would make it profoundly alive to us. And if it's something maybe we've never seen before, um, that we would see it brand new for what it is. And most of all, we pray that this would not be a time to just gain more knowledge about you. Although that is important, we really pray that we would have enough courage to put into practice whatever we learn about you and however you might speak to our hearts. So help us not just gain it, help us to also respond to it. And we pray uh, that you'd also be with uh, Sal downstairs as um, he's with the kids, with the children. It was awesome during worship time to have one of them just clap, you know, and just cheer you on. It's great. So just, we pray that you just bless them downstairs and you bless those seeds being planted. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, Matthew 21, verses 1 through 12. And uh, this is not, right, most churches probably wouldn't be doing this passage. Uh, on a Sunday, they would save it for around Easter time because this is Palm Sunday passage. So we're breaking the rules here. Do you feel like rebels? Um, But hey, that's what happens sometimes when you go right through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, you know, you cover everything. And um, and I had a friend of mine, you know, ask me at work this week, he said, uh, because we go back and forth and talking about, you know, what we're going to talk at church, and he's very involved in his uh, Catholic church. And uh, he's like, so what are you talking about this week? I'm like, well, actually, uh, it's Palm Sunday stuff. And uh, he kind of looked at me funny. And I said, yeah, I guess you could do that, right? I said, yeah. Yeah, we could definitely do that. So, um, so yeah, Palm Sunday stuff. You know, we're going through the book of Matthew. It's just where we are today. And I do think, definitely think, there's something in here uh, for us for 2013. I know it jumped off the page to me. And it jumped off the page uh, into my heart. I'm hoping somehow I can effectively relay that out. That's my hope and prayer. So hopefully I don't mess it up. Hopefully we keep it God-focused. All right, so let's read it and then we'll talk about it. So, uh, Matthew 21, verse 1, let's take a look. It says, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples and he said to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you'll find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them and that he will send them right away. And so this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on, cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. Very large crowds spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went on ahead of him, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna, right? We sang that this morning. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? 
Crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So this is a very dramatic scene that we're coming uh, into here. So Jesus is now about to really face head on his mission. Like what God had for him. It's laying right before him. He's riding into it. And he knows what awaits him. So that automatically says something about Jesus. Like he knows what's waiting for him. Doesn't matter. He's going for it. It's a courageous man. So he's riding right into it. And he knows the whole time he's not focused on what will happen to him. He's focused on accomplishing what his father has for him. And part of that was to fulfill what was said a long time ago about the way he should be coming in. And so Jesus realized it. Oh, that prophet, Zechariah, he said, I have to come into the town a particular way, gentle and riding in on a donkey. And it's interesting, right? When you read, there's actually two of them. And so I didn't even, you know, even actually notice that um, before. Like, there's actually really two there, right? There's the mother donkey, you know, and then there's the colt, um, you know, the younger one. And so they brought both of them, never ever been ridden. Jesus said, hey, listen, go find them, untie them, bring them to me. If anybody asks, tell them that I need them. And I guess that was okay with whoever was there. And they said, okay, no problem. And so he gets them. He gets uh, the colt and the mom and they, they, uh, his disciples put, take off their cloaks or whatever they had, their outer garments, and they put it on there. And Jesus sits on there, and it must have looked weird, right? And Jesus, you know, a man, and you have this like little tiny, you know, donkey or colt. We're not talking horses now, we're talking donkey and colts. And, you know, he's sitting on there, and um, everybody's just going crazy. It's an amazing scene. And they're just shouting and yelling, like we just read, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And people are just pumped. And they're laying, they're taking their clothes off. They probably only really have one outfit, you know, really back then. They're taking off, they're laying it in the streets. Um, they're climbing up trees and cutting off palm branches for Palm Sunday and waving them. Hosanna, Hosanna. I mean, this is intense. And according to some Bible scholars, it's maybe a million to two million people. I mean, just because everybody's coming up at this point in time for Passover. So there's a lot of Jews and everybody is gathering. So it's an intense scene. So there's something that's very, very interesting that pops out that caught my attention that I think has something to do with us. And if you could flip over to Luke, flip over to Luke 19. Flip over to Luke 19. Verse 29. Actually, verse 28. So Luke 19, verse 28. Do we have a page there? 743. In case people need it. Okay. So we'll get there in a second. So we're going to read that passage in a second. Um, I'll share with you one topic first because it's going to have to do with like what we're going to read here and look at. Because Matthew's version doesn't have this. It is recorded in all four Gospels how Jesus wrote in. It's really important. All four Gospels, it's all recorded. Um, but Luke mentioned something very, very interesting which we're going to look at in a minute. Uh, I wanted to uh, 
share a little bit first about misunderstandings, because this is going to play a big part into what we're talking about. And so just to get us thinking about misunderstandings, okay? Um, This past week, this past week, I am in all these meetings, getting ready for the first day of school tomorrow. Boo! Right? Tomorrow. First day and... um, getting the classroom set up. And really the first few days is just the administrators are standing there showing me, uh, showing all of us PowerPoints of policy, procedure. And the whole idea is to minimize right, any possible misunderstandings. We want to make sure that all the teachers and all the students and all the administrators are all on the same page. And so, you know, we want to make sure that we're all checking dress code the same way. You know, they can only have their brown pants, black shoes, not like slipper type shoes. Make sure their shirts are tucked in. Make sure if they're walking around the hallways, they have their passes. So that way, you know, uh, make sure that if they come in late after a bell, they get a detention. Because some teachers let the kids slide in. Okay, okay. And others, they're, they're waiting for the bell to ring and they have their detention slip ready, ready to fill out. You know, so, so we're going through all of this stuff. For misunderstandings, trying to take care of misunderstandings. And as I was thinking about misunderstandings, like, you know, when I think about my life, there's a lot of misunderstandings. And maybe you can relate a little bit in your life as far as misunderstandings go. So I am married. There's a potential for misunderstanding right there. Um, so, married, right? Man, woman, we talk very differently, communicate very differently. So there could be some misunderstandings there. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, some giggles, yes. So yes, some misunderstandings, right? Also, I'm a math teacher during the week. Misunderstandings, like who wants to hear about polynomials? Not too many people. Misunderstandings. I have a two-year-old misunderstandings definitely going on there. And I remember a particular phrase, you know, with my little man there. Uh, the phrase, uh-oh, you know, whenever something drops, tell him, uh-oh, you know, and you go, uh-oh, and super cute, you know, in the beginning, uh-oh. And he would say it, come out of his, you know, little voice. But somewhere along the way, he didn't really get it. Like, uh-oh was intended for when you drop something by accident. It wasn't intended for when you take your chicken nugget and you throw it across the dining room. That's not an uh-oh, right? But that's a misunderstanding, right? He wasn't exactly getting the whole picture. He just knew something fell or was flying through the air. That's an uh-oh. And then like his latest one right now as far as uh-ohs go or, um, you know, we, we try not to like uh, give him a ta-ta too often. You know, we're trying best we can talk to him about things, but he's, you know, he's almost two. Like, he can't get all of it. So there's a lot of misunderstanding going on. And so sometimes before I give him his little ta-ta, you know, we'll, uh, we'll count to three, you know. Especially Julie, she's a big counter. Unfortunately, I tend to just go right to the ta-ta too often. Sometimes that's good, sometimes that's bad. Um, so she likes to do the counting thing, right? One, two, three. So, Jaren, don't do it. Don't go up there. Don't touch that. One, two. And so, right, she's been doing this for, I don't know, six months probably. 
you know, because they tell you, you know, even when they're younger, continue to talk to them. Eventually, they start to understand. They get it. They might, be able, might not be able to verbalize, but eventually they get it. And um, so now, here's the misunderstanding. You know, it just happened yesterday. He wasn't supposed to be climbing up the stairs or something. Don't go up those stairs. One, two, and we hear, three. like, he was, he was proud of himself for counting the three. Like, no, that's just not where... That's not it here. Like, there's a total, total misunderstanding, right? Just totally not getting this thing. And like for, you know, adults and, you know, for him, um, you know, misunderstandings, what they can do is if they're not addressed, and we don't look at them and try and address them in some way, they can like fuel assumptions. So people can just start assuming things and then... They just like keep going on with that. And they could be like assuming, you know, good things or could be assuming, you know, incorrect things. But if there's misunderstanding there and it's not addressed, you know, it could be difficult. And, you know, with him throwing his chicken nuggets and, you know, climbing the stairs, we'll work that stuff out as he gets older. You know, but some things carry much more weight, you know, when there's a misunderstanding going on. Um, I was thinking about, geez, not too long ago, there was a whole lot of people who figured out what an ARM is what an arm is on a mortgage. Like, they figured out real quick what that was. So when their mortgage payment was like, you know, five, six hundred bucks, hey, this is great. But then it started to balloon, maybe, to like eight hundred, and then a couple of years to a thousand. Like, what is this, you know? This is not what I expected. There's a misunderstanding there, and then you just have this, this collapse. People can't pay these bills. So that is a major misunderstanding going on there, right? Or... Um, you know, some people like uh, with credit cards, it's just, oh, you know, I don't have the money now, but, you know, I'll charge it. And if we, don't, we don't properly understand that, hey, at some point we've got to pay that money back. We can get ourselves into trouble. Like, we have to pay it back. That's one thing with the kids at school, you know. Sometimes, a lot of times, I write these college recommendations for kids. And, you know, they're going to college. And where are you going? What are you doing? And almost always they're trying to share with them and say, hey, wherever you're going whatever you can, try and get scholarships, apply for scholarships, anything you can. You have to pay the money back. So yeah, you want to go to Providence for fifty six, fifty seven thousand a year. You have to pay that back. Like it doesn't just go away. You know, so try and help with that misunderstanding. Remember being younger, misunderstandings like about medicine? Well, something hurts a lot, you just take a lot more medicine, right? That makes sense. No, that's not really the way it goes, right? So, Obviously, misunderstandings. The problem is if it gets to be spiritual, right? There can definitely be spiritual misunderstandings. We're going to get to that for sure. But let's just look at a couple of reasons why things become misunderstood, like why it's not clear. Because I think that would be helpful. And there's probably a lot of reasons why things get unclear, depending upon who's talking. Maybe they don't talk well, or you know, maybe it's confusing. Um, Maybe the material is really difficult, whatever it might be. But I basically boil down to three generalizations. Like, things could be misunderstood if one is just unclear, like we just said. Somehow it's just unclear. Whoever we're talking to, just not getting it, not connecting. Maybe I'm doing a bad job. Maybe they're just not you know, paying attention or listening. They're busy texting or doing whatever, right? It's just unclear. Some people, pure laziness. Like, they're just lazy. They don't want to put in the effort to try and understand and pay attention. That's legit, right? That definitely happened. And then there's some that just have a total, they just shut down. They could care less about listening to what 
I have to say or you have to say. They just want to get out what they have to say and then that's it. Done. I said what I had to say. Right? And so that's not like good communication there. There's going to be some misunderstandings because that's great. I can kind of understand what you're saying but you have no idea what I'm saying what I'm feeling. It reminds me of uh, this, past, uh, this past week. Uh, TJ and I and another young guy we went out to Waterbury and just to evangelize. Just tell people about Jesus. It's basically like, you know, Jesus changed our life. Can we talk about it? Like, that's it. Like, just tell people about Jesus. That was it. Just walk around. And so, um, we, uh, we started in Nogtuck, actually, but there's no, really nobody around. So we went to Waterbury, and there's some parks there in downtown. We went talking with people, and we met some characters. Some characters. I... I was involved with conversations with people. And TJ was too, and John was too, where it was just... They were just talking about the, just most the absurd, most just dysfunctional thought, ludicrous things just coming out of their minds. It was unbelievable. So I was like, so this is who's hanging out in Waterbury at 8 o'clock at night in the park. Go figure, right? Go figure. But it was just amazing that you'd think we... You, if you saw two people, right? So if I saw maybe John, another guy, and I was walking by and I saw him talking, and then 15, 20 minutes later, I walked by, they're still talking, like, oh, wow. I must be engaged, like, in something pretty good. No way. It was a total shutdown. Like, they just, they, at least for the few people that we talked to, they really could care less about what we had to say. They just wanted to spurt off whatever they had. And they just, and it was amazing how they could just ramble. And just ramble. And I was like, what? And half of it just made no sense, right? It was just like ridiculous. Like, what are they saying? And I was telling Julie about it in the car. And I was like, Julie, I was like, just, just think of just the craziest things you can come up with right now. And just string it into a sentence and just carry on that sentence for 20 minutes. Like, that's what it was like. It was just it was really nuts. And so there definitely was not an understanding going on there. But our passage, right? So back to our passage. What does this have to do with anything? So our passage, right? is what it does. It's going to give us a really sobering look at a tragic misunderstanding. Super sobering look at a tragic misunderstanding. And it really is tragic. Now, Luke. Here's why we turned here. Let's take a look. We'll read this one. And then um, we're going to pick out something very interesting. Verse 28. It says, After Jesus had said this, He went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage, right, he said all this, and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives said two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you're untying it, tell them the Lord needs it. Right? We saw this. Verse 32. It says, Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he told them. They're untying the colt. Its owners asked them, Hey, why are you taking this? And they said, The Lord needs it. <laughs> they were good with that. Verse 35, They brought it to Jesus, threw their colts on it, and then they put Jesus on it. And as He went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When it came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, a whole crowd of disciples began joyfully, everybody say joyfully. joyfully. This is really important. You might want to underline that or box it off or something. Joyfully, to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. 
Some of the Pharisees, right, the religious leaders, in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Jesus said, If they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Verse 41, it says, As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, here it is, he wept over it. Everybody say wept. Right? So I'd underline or box that. He wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. And then Jesus goes on to say about why he sat. So here's the thing that sticks out to me that's glaringly obvious. You have this crowd that is pumped up, super excited about the Messiah, the prophet that's coming. So much so, they're laying their clothes down, they're cutting palm branches off, they're waving them around, and shouting, Hosanna, which means, save us, save us, save us. They're pumped, they're excited. This is it. They've been reading about it for hundreds of years, from the prophets, that one day this would happen. And it's like, now they're alive to experience it. They are juiced up. But then Jesus, the huge contrast, Jesus is crying. What? What is the deal? Why would that be happening? So that's the part that stuck out to me. And that's the part that I think we should maybe dig and just look a little bit more at this morning. Be like, why this contrast of emotions? Why would this be happening? Wouldn't maybe Jesus be happy that they're welcoming him in and recognizing who he is? Wouldn't maybe he'd be a little bit happy about that? Um, that's the big question, is the why. And here's the answer. Right? We don't have to spend a lot of time looking for it. We'll just get right to it. Why? Because they were unclear on who and what Jesus was supposed to be and do. Right? They were unclear as far as who Jesus was and what he was supposed to do. Something wasn't quite connecting for them. Right? It was unclear. Everybody say unclear. This is the big part here. Right? So this is like we're building up here. This is... They were unclear in who Jesus was. Now think about this, okay? They've been in synagogue for who knows how long, right? A long time. A good chunk of the people there saw Lazarus rise from the dead. That's why they showed up. They're like, oh, I want to see who did this. Another good chunk of people that were there for Passover. They have always been taught from Moses from the law that this prophet would be coming and saving them. So they had a particular idea about Jesus. And their idea was that this Messiah, this Jesus, was to come and deliver them from Roman oppression. That was the deal. Because it said, right, it says in the word in Isaiah that he's going to take the government on his shoulders. And so it's saying, save us, save us. And Jesus is like, I am going to save you, but not the way you're thinking right now. A total misunderstanding. Not con- like one, two, three. Like, no, like a total misunderstanding going on here. And it turns into be very, very tragic. Because on that day, praising Him, by Friday, Thursday, they're yelling, crucify, crucify. 
So for us, right, 2013 today, here's the part that leaps off the page to me. It's like, all right, well, they had an unclear understanding about who Jesus was. Misconceptions, misunderstandings, misinterpretations. So, us in 2013, we could not possibly suffer from the same misconceptions, misunderstandings, miscalculations. Couldn't happen, right? We've had this, right? We've had the word, right? The logos, you know? We've had this. It's on my phone. Like, it's on our computer. It's on the internet. You know, it says, on average per household, four Bibles. No way. Can't happen, right? We shouldn't have to suffer the same fate. Jesus, hopefully, is not in heaven seeing people on a Sunday morning in a church, not necessarily saying this church, but just church in general, where people got hands raised high, praising Him. Hopefully, Jesus is not in heaven weeping because it's like, oh, they don't know. They're not getting this. Hopefully that's not happening. Now, today, I don't know about you, but I've certainly heard of some misconceptions, misinterpretations surrounding Jesus. And you could probably, you know, come up with some things that you've heard. Right? He's a good man. Right? He's a good, good man, good teachings, morally sound. Um, a savior? A redeemer, but not necessarily God himself. Uh, maybe a prophet, but not really, you know, God incarnate. He's a Jesus that cares about my happiness and my safety and my comfort. And to like really achieve ultimate happiness, comfort, and safety. That's what Jesus is helping me get to. These are kind of misunderstandings. Like, there's a little bit of truth in maybe some of those, but that's not really the whole story about who Jesus is and why He came and what His mission was. It's not the whole deal. Everybody say, whole deal. It's not the whole deal. And so this morning, like, we don't have hours, you know? We're we're not necessarily that, like, super loud Pentecostal four-hour church. That's not necessarily us. But... We can at least look in the Word and say, hey, biblically, here's who Jesus is and here is what it says. I think there'd be tremendous value in looking at that. Because in our society, it's very easy for the American dream to creep into Christianity. It's really easy. Think that you pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you do the best that you can, and you kind of make it happen. And it's like God will sort of come along board and sort of work with that and do that too. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. So I wanted to just show you some passages here. I want to show you some passages about what Jesus said. So if we're talking about Jesus, and we're talking about misunderstandings, misconceptions... Let's at least just put it right out there as far as what he said biblically. I'll just put it right out there. So we just all know we're all on the same page. And it's good to know these things. Because sometimes we can think about, you know, meek and mild, fluffy little Jesus who's just 
almost a genie in my life to kind of give me what I want. And I'm not necessarily saying that people around here in this room think that, but common perception. Absolutely. So just take a look at some of these. I'm not going to read all of them. Take a minute and just soak some of that in there. Even that first one, like, that's all automatically throwing some people away. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's big time. And, and uh, you know, are Christians narrow-minded um, and, uh, and intolerant and bigoted? Well, I certainly hope they're not intolerant. I certainly hope that they're not bigoted. But Jesus did say that that road is narrow. And he did say that that road is broad that leads to destruction. Like he said that. I'm not saying that. I would never. I'm not saying that. He said that. So yeah, it is kind of narrow. Matthew 10, look at this. So John 14, he says he's the only way. Matthew 10, he says, Don't suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I didn't come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. What? Jesus said that? Jesus said that. It's not necessarily true that as we grow closer to God, that He will bring us closer to each other. I heard that this past week. As we grow closer to God, that we'll go closer to each other. Not really. You might maybe with some, but with others, it might draw a hard line. That's what happens getting around Jesus. Like, he drew the hard line. And he kind of forces us to make a choice on which side we fall. So Jesus, that wasn't his goal was to bring peace between us. The goal was to bring peace between us and God and create a way that way. That was the peace because sin was just in the way there. But now we have full access to the Father for those of us that have professed Christ as our Savior. That's the peace he's there to bring. Not necessarily peace on earth. And in fact, it says in the Bible that one of the signs of the end is right, that Antichrist that will rise up, that will be basically, you know, Satan incarnate, he's actually going to bring peace. And he's going to bring peace to a really tough part, to the Middle East. And people are like, this is it. This is it. This is like what religion and morality is about. And people are yes, this is it. Everybody accepting, everybody loving, and a lot of people are going to be deceived. And then it says that the Antichrist will then demand to be worshipped. You know, that's the other tidbit of that. But that wasn't Jesus' goal to bring peace. He said he's the only way. He said that uh, he didn't come to bring peace. Luke 14, 26, look at this. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, just even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple... What? That's heavy duty. Hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. This is tough language. And Jesus said that. Right? The goal for us this morning is to be like, what did he say? Let's not be misunderstood. Let's just put it all out there. It's not sugarcoated. God can take care of himself. He can defend himself. But biblically, let's look to see what's in there. So should I hate, you know, Julie? Should I hate Jaren and no, I don't think he's calling me to hate them. But if they are trying to maybe bring me or drag me to a life that puts God on the back burner and puts him as less important and not as 
number one priority in my life, I might be forced to very tough decision then, right? We got to start working on things. That's how important this is. To if it comes down between family members, what am I going to choose? And it doesn't mean just turn family members off, you know, and kind of be difficult and just say, oh, you know, they're persecuting me. Well, maybe you're just like being a jerk, you know? Like, you don't have to do that either. But this is Jesus talking here, right? Only way. Didn't come to bring peace. Might divide families. Look at John 15. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you could do nothing. We say apart. And then say nothing. nothing. Apart. Apart. Nothing. Like, anything of eternal value, if I think for a second that I could come, you know, to church or go to, you know, to Waterbury and talk with crazies or, you know, go wherever and do anything or go to work tomorrow and make an impact somehow for the kingdom and I am not prayed up and in my word, it's craziness. It's craziness. It's not going to happen. It just won't. Even if my intentions are good. God has spoken to me and said, Hey, listen, I need you. I need your heart. I need your mind. Give me some time. Let me prepare you for this day. And I don't respond to that. I'm not apart from him. I can't do anything. It's just what he says. Luke 10. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, strength. Everything you got, love Him. This is the part that drives me nuts maybe about this, you know, Western church, American Christianity. It's like sprinkle Jesus and sprinkle God in. As long as that's in there, that's good. No way. He's got to take over the whole lot. He's just got to take over everything. He's got to take over all of Jared. His whole mind, his thought, his wallet, whatever. His car. It doesn't matter. He just takes it all. He just takes it all. Whatever. This is Jesus, right? This is what a Christian disciple looks like. Should be no misunderstandings on this stuff. We got the word he told us. They didn't have the word back then, which is amazing. I can't imagine how difficult that must have been. Look at this, Matthew 13. The Son of Man will send out his angels. They will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace and be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I got a, a coworker. Um, yeah, a friend at work, and I had calf study one day, and he comes down, and uh, I was actually doing stuff for church in calf study. I you know, probably should have been doing something else, but I was working on stuff for church, and uh, he's, he saw it, and he's like, uh, he's like, hey, what are you working on? And I showed him, and he rolls his eyes, and goes, ah, you know. As he said, uh, he said, let me see that. And um, I showed it to him, he said, he said, wait, he said, hell's really in the Bible? I said, yeah, man, it's really in the Bible. I said, look how it's described. It's a real place. It's a real place. And people are really going there. And so like if we can go out and somehow tell them about Jesus, somehow plant the seed, maybe they'll make a commitment right there. Maybe God will do a healing right there. Maybe he'll like cast a demon out, which I thought might happen actually that night. But maybe he won't. But nonetheless, like he's using us to do it. And it doesn't matter, you know, who we are. That's the amazing part about Christianity, about the work of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter who we are and where we're coming from. It's just we just bring it to Him and He does the rest. Because the second we start thinking that we could do in our own power, then we're deceived. 
So then two last ones here real quick and then, and then we close up. So Jesus said, my food, he's talking about food. Anybody like food? I love food. I love all kinds of food. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That's the way Jesus is looking at life. A lot of times I'm thinking, geez, what do I have for lunch, you know, and what do I got for snack time? And it's, a, it's a religious focus every day, you know, what am I eating and what's going on? And Jesus is just like, yeah, I don't know. Food might be in there, but man, God's got a will for me today. What are we doing? Maybe I'll get my lunch at 1230, you know, but maybe I won't. Or maybe it won't be there, whatever. Like, what's God got for me today? And then the last one here, right? Jesus himself, he says, boom, I and the Father are one. He's just claiming to be God right there. So let's not be misunderstood about who this Jesus is. We don't have to be. Some people maybe choose to put on blinders so they think that they won't be responsible, but truth be told, they will be. Because you know what? All roads do and lead to God. They do. Right? I might be catching you by surprise to some people if I'm saying that. All roads definitely do lead to God. But not all roads are going to save them. All roads are going to God. No matter what. We die... Life happens. We're all going to stand. The Bible makes it clear. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. It's a real deal issue. But only some are going to have a Savior to back them up. And so I think for us, the thing that will be helpful is this phrase right here. It says, and I think I got a slide. When we have a better understanding on who Jesus is, because we're talking about misunderstandings, right? So when I, when we, have a better understanding on who Jesus is, then we can move in power and in expectation in our personal lives and in our churches. If I'm understanding better who Jesus is, what he said was life is about, in my own personal life, I can now move in power. And as a church, and churches around, they can move in power. That was the mark of the early church, man. It says in Acts multiple times, they were one in spirit and they were one in mind. That's just the way they went about it. It's like, for the kingdom. for the Like, let's just do it. Let's just go. They were unified. And man, so many churches, they get hung up on like, you know, worship songs. And if somebody said hi to them or not that day. And so silly. So silly. I don't know about you, but like, I want to move in power. Would you want more power in your life? Crickets. Don't you want more power in your life? Seriously, like what? Yes. That will be the deal that changes things. So Paul says the kingdom is not a matter of talk. We can come in here and talk all we want. And it could even be inspiring and insightful and even moving. If there's no power attached to it, so what? That's happening everywhere. We've got to have some power behind this stuff. And our church has to have some power behind it. Otherwise, we're just another club. And a crowd does not make a church. The Holy Spirit makes a church. That's what we want. Amen to that, right? Yes, yes. So here, here we go to close. Right? Closing statement is this. Right? Jesus is coming back, and it's not going to be gentle, and it's not going to be on a donkey. It's not going to be gentle. It's not going to be on a donkey. That's the way it came the first time. It's the way you're supposed to come. There's another way you're supposed to come the next time. 
Let me read you about how he's coming the next time. Revelation 19 there. Verse 11. You could turn there if you would like. It says, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse. Donkey? No. White horse. Whose rider, Jesus himself, is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire. His head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. Wow. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has his name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Like he is coming back. And that's it when he's coming back. There is no second, third time. It's not happening. I want to be ready. Don't you want to be ready? I want my neighbors to be ready. Don't you want your family members to be ready? So let's stand and um, let's close in prayer. Father, we come before you as a people who desperately need you. We also come before you as a people who have just, uh, we can make so many excuses, create so many bogus reasons for not giving you all of ourselves. And I pray that if we need to repent, that we do repent. That we say it right back to you and say, Lord, you've been saying this and I've been doing this other thing. And Father, we pray and we ask for even more understanding and better clarity of the type of man that Jesus was. What his heart was like, what his mind was like, the type of love that he had for others, the self-sacrifice that was involved. And we pray that you could fill us with courage and with boldness to those around us. Because we are not supposed to take this light of ours and hide it under a bushel. God, we're supposed to be shining bright and just going out and telling others about you. And it's very, very difficult to share our faith with others if nothing's going on with us. So Lord, if we need to have our fire relit or lit for the first time ever, I pray that we would do the uh, courageous thing and commit our lives to you. So God, I pray that we could go out, that we go in power. We have no idea what the rest of today might bring, the rest of this week. But we do know that we're part of your plan and that you will open doors and create opportunities for your truth to go out. And I pray that we could step up to the plate And we just pray that you forgive us for times in the past or maybe we know 
You've been urging us and nudging us and we haven't. God, we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you'd like to stay up here,